The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, wipe that grin off your Facebook and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 540 with guest Jim Zimmerman, recorded live Tuesday, March 23, 2010. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And now... The man whose father gave him a gold watch right before he died. For 500 bucks, Carl Franklin. Thanks very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's coming up on road trip season, Richard. Yes, it is indeed, my friend. We're going to start in Mountain View. We're going to 15 cities in three weeks, and we really want you to come out and visit us. Where, you might say? Well, go to .netrocks.com slash roadtrip, or just click on the big, ugly graphic there in the <laughs> .net rocks page, which is actually repurposed from the last time we went, because we uh, just couldn't, we couldn't afford an artist this time, basically <laughs> is what happened. So, you know. Those darn artists. Yeah. We're holding it together with spit and shoe leather, so. Uh, but come out, find where we're going to be, and you might be able to uh, come with us. To you know, from your stop to the next stop, there's ah uh, yes, right along with Carl and Richard. So just put in your name and email where you're going to be, and uh, you might win. And uh, hey, we'll get you drunk. <laughs> <laughs> you can't say that. I know. Did I say that? It's a joke. You can't say that. This is half satire here. Can we do better? Know a framework? Yeah. All right. What you got for me, friend? So as you know, I've been talking about obsolete types in the .NET framework here off and on, and .NET Framework 4 comes around. There's quite a few things that are either changed or missing, and I just want to keep you abreast of them. So uh, system.web.dll has some interesting things. There's hmm. no more Passport. Passport is no longer supported. So system.web.configuration.passport authentication, system.websecurity.passport authentication event args. Anything with any passport in it, pretty much. Passport identity, passport but principle. Do you think anybody's actually using that? Passport hasn't been available for ages. Well, no. It's been superseded by Live ID, see? Right. So those classes are no longer there. Okay. Also, things like uh, system.web.ui.objectConverter. There's oh. a al recommended alternative is system.convert in string.format. 
you're seeing that a lot. There's a lot of little converters sprinkled around the uh, framework that people are saying, just use system.convert. Yeah, they're just consolidating all that. Yeah, system.convert is one of those tools that is indispensable. It's got any kind of conversion from any type to another type. Uh, we probably talked about this before, but system.web.mail.smtpmail is gone. Well, it's not gone, but it's deprecated. Move. You want to use system.net.mail.smtp client. Right. Uh, anything in system.web.mail pretty much. Gone. So that's it. That's it for today, anyway. That's all you got? Yeah. Who's talking to us, Richard? I got an email about show 530. That was a long time ago. Not that long ago, but okay. Hey, <laughs> guys. I've been listening to the show for almost three years now, and I love it. I started learning Visual Basic at a small startup, my first job after college, and pushed the envelope with an ASP.NET web app. No matter how hard you work on something, you always seem to find it sucks after six months, which is definitely the case. I'm a team lead now at a new company. I've consistently introduced the newest technologies, WCF, uh, Link to SQL, MVC, and TDD into production. How do you put TDD into production? Uh, In a large part, thanks to your podcast. So, thanks. You're welcome. I was listening to show 530, Brad Fraser on copyright, SLAs, and more, and it couldn't have come at a better time. Oh, cool. I've been reading about the Windows Phone 7, and I want to build an app. I think I've come up with a great idea, but I want to protect it. So now I've been researching copyrights and patents and things like that. This show was perfect. I feel much better prepared now. I did have one question, though. You had another show on patents that Brad mentioned, and I must have missed it. How could that be? Hmm. And the show he was referring to is 478, John Peterson on the legal side of software. All right. Where we did dig into software patents and end user license agreements and those sorts of fun things. Yep. So uh, thanks for all the help. That's from Rob Scheifer. And Rob, he says, P.S., I wear a large hoodie. The real question, Rob, <laughs> is do you drink coffee? Because you're getting a mug, my friend. But good one. Mug for you. <laughs> and if you've got questions, concerns, ideas for a show, thoughts on a piece you've heard here, send us an email. .net rocks at franklins.net. I wonder what size mug he wears. <laughs> uh, anyway. So, uh, as you, as I probably already told you, the, um, Billy Hollis and I just put the finishing touches on recording a Silverlight how to video series. We're going to distribute that on DVD and awesome. basically just going to be a bunch of Camtasia files that, uh, that you can watch. Uh, and I do believe we're taking advanced orders. We're recording this, um, in back in way back in March, but by this time you might be able to go to franklins.net and be able to place an order for it. So just check that out. But I, I tell you, the man is brilliant. Yeah, well, we talked on the weekend during the recording, and you literally sound stunned I'm at stunned. times. I, you know, it, it, Silverlight 4 makes Silverlight seem like VB1. Wow. You know, just that simple. I mean, there We're are the things, next league. There are gotchas, and there are things that are inconsistent, but uh, Billy explains it really, really well, and it does make sense. But it's not uh, it's not tweaky like previous versions of Silverlight. It's right. just it's just working great. Awesome. So yeah, check that out. Our guest today, Richard, is Jim Zimmerman. Jim has been an ASP.NET MVP since 2006 and speaks at various code camps and user groups, mostly in Florida. And recently spoke at Mix 2010 on Facebook applications hosted in Azure. He is CTO, lead developer at Thuzi.com, T-H-U-Z-I, and TeamZoneSports.com. 
He started programming at 11. Or maybe it was 1130. <laughs> on uh, an Apple IIe. And has been doing. <laughs> I love that joke. And has been doing web development since 1996 when Netscape One Beta came out. In his spare time, in quotes, indicating he has less of it, he likes to play bass and guitar and hang out with his wife and four kids. A man after my own heart. Hi, Jim. Hey, how you doing? What kind of bass do you have, man? Um, Let's just get I that actually right have a. I have a, an old Fender one. I I haven't really gotten to play it that much anymore. I'm, I've shifted more towards electric guitar now just because I can be quiet at night when the kids are sleeping. So a Fender Precision or a Fender Jazz Bass or? Uh, It's a Jazz Bass. Nice. Yeah, no no fret. It's fretless. Oh, wow, even nicer. Okay. Mm. Well, let's You know, uh, bringing up music, I I really want to know more about, we don't need to talk about right now, but I want to know more about how you change the tunings on the fly with your guitar. I can't remember. I heard some episode of you talking about that and I really yes. want to know how to do that. <laughs> That's the Roland GK5 or GK4 or GK3, I can't remember. But it's a split pickup, and it has a brain. Uh, you know, it might cost you five or $600 to put it all together. But it uh, basically has a, a string, uh, a pickup under each string. And uh, it goes to a brain with a special cable, and each string gets processed individually. So you can set up patches where you have alternate tunings. Yeah. But if you're really sick, Gibson has a automatic tuning guitar that will adjust the tuning like with real tension on the fly Ooh, and it keeps itself in tune never goes out of tune how cool is that like, that is on, very cool automatic tuning les paul especially for those of us that don't get to play as much as we'd like to it takes so long to tune by the time i'm done i'm like well i don't have much time to play <laughs> go downstairs and play 20 minutes later dinner yeah You're like <laughs> damn <laughs> all right you guitar geeks right, and he's I'm also sorry. an apple IIe geek he's an old school programmer so that we I, could that I we can go way that. off the rails today well you might be able to go go off the rails with that richard but i i unfortunately can't geek out on apple IIe i got one thing to say to you jim yeah indirect indexed addressing i was only 11 i don't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i played pong <laughs> we had we had only four registers in the 6502 and so if you wanted to address above the 8K memory pages, you All had right. to do indexed indirect Now, addressing. that's scary, Richard. That means when you were 11, you were programming assembly language on an Apple IIe. That's just freaking scary. Yeah, one of three or four different assembly languages I was speaking at the time. Oh, good Lord. I was just 10, go to 20 kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both. You and me both. So... <laughs> I have so many fond memories of walking into Radio Shack, deleting the program that was running the demo and, and putting in something obscene, you know, some, <laughs> some little obscene interaction. That, that was could, you! <laughs> that, you know, a little kid would walk in and then be shocked, you know. Uh, so anyway, what are we talking about? Facebook and Azure. Yep. Better together through chemistry. Yeah. Something. <laughs> That's a good tagline. I like yeah. So, so what did you do at Mix? Uh, well, we just, um, we've been working with Microsoft and, uh, we created this, um, Windows Azure toolkit for Facebook. Right. Um, that we put on CodePlex. So I talked about that for a lot of the time and, you know, kind of showed a real world, uh, few real world Facebook apps, uh, including the Outback one, uh, that's a Microsoft case study up there. And then, um, you know, a couple other ones that we're working on. What's the Outback case study all about? So, Back in um, November, before PDC launched, um, we uh, we went live in Azure mm-hmm. with uh, give away a free Bloomin' Onion 
here, friends. And we, oh, for Outback Steakhouse. Yeah, Outback Steakhouse. Sorry. Okay. And um, and so you know we we decided to use Azure and we went live you know before PDC and uh, what what ended up happening was we our goal was to get rid of five hundred thousand onions in a month and uh, we hit that you know in less than a month and so it started to viral on Facebook and uh, you know I was just thanking God that we had chose the Azure because we had like five instances and a couple of worker roles that were processing all the data wow. and it was able to handle the spike and uh, it was a pretty cool experience to, to, to see it happen. Yeah. Now this is the story I've been looking for about Azure, which is, you know, we keep being told, don't worry, the cloud will scale, the cloud will scale. Look, I've scaled a lot of stuff and mm-hmm. had my butt handed to me more than once, right? Like, so let's go. Th- I really want to dig into this because the understanding what it, how you responded to the crisis to me is the is going to be really interesting. So what was the Facebook part and what was the Azure part? And first of all, was the crisis that they had a surplus of onions that were going to go bad? <laughs> was that the real problem, dude? We got to have a million onions. Yeah. We got to do something. <laughs> what are we going to do with all these onions? <laughs> Yeah, I think all the onions in Idaho or wherever they come from were just coming out of the truck. There was a bumper crop that uh, that year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, that's the real problem, isn't it? Yeah, what are we going to exactly. do with them? That's, that's funny. Um, Once in a yeah. while, I'm funny. Yeah, Don't so, worry, he gets uh, over it. <laughs> so they wanted to try something uh, different. You know, they they did a lot of direct mail uh, campaigns for, you know, coupons and whatnot. And so, so uh, they... They contacted us and, uh, we, we decided to do a Facebook app. And, uh, as we're kind of scoping it out, you know, we really had no idea how, how much it was going to viral, right? I mean, how right. could you know? Right. So I was scared to, uh, to set up, uh, a couple more servers in the data center. Um, and also didn't want to spend the money because I didn't know, you know, how much the traffic would actually be. And this was only supposed to be a month, month and a half long campaign. Yeah. So it seems not- crazy to set up a bunch of gear for a, a- four six week campaign yeah exactly and that's you know that's kind of what azure is really good at at doing too because you know once you're done you just delete the instances literally just delete them let it go so are we really are are you saying that on facebook you're going to get like a coupon for a free blooming onion yeah so the way it works is you go to you know outback steakhouse fan page on facebook right um, right and then you'd become a fan and you'd fill out the form um which would then email you a coupon Huh. Okay. And um and then you could share that with friends. Like you could post it to your wall, hey, I just got a free bloom on and get yours, and then you could actually invite friends and say, you know, hey, here's a free bloom and onion for you, and then they'd go pick it up and they'd go through the same process, fill out the form, pick their store location that's closest to them based on their you know, their zip code. We'd we'd do a look up and see all the outbacks within a fifty mile radius of their zip code. Right. They'd pick the store and then, then they'd go through the same process and we just we're, we're watching it viral from friend to friend. And then, you know, there's one day I logged into, into Facebook and I saw like four onions on my wall. You know, from <laughs> just different friends that say, Hey, I got an onion. It was, it was pretty funny to see. <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't realize, yeah, you built that app. It's your fault. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, so back to the original question yeah. of, so the, yeah, you've got this Facebook side of things where you're going wall to wall, but some point here you're communicating out of Facebook into a service? Uh yeah. Um the way the the way it was set up is we had um we had five web roles that were sitting there. Okay. And then we had some worker roles that were listening to messages on the queue for uh all different kinds of things. Like uh one was once you fill out the form, it would go into a queue 
and we'd have a worker where we'll grab that data and then denormalize it and put it into SQL Azure. Okay. Mm. And so that way it was easier to report on, you know, instead of having a normalized database, we had a pretty much denormalized database, but made it a lot easier to report on. Yeah. And then we'd take that data and then send it to an external third party uh, web service that then took care of doing the email. They had a different email provider. Okay. So yeah, you weren't even handling the email processing on this. You're just taking the, the guy's info from Facebook. Yep. And then passing it along to a third party that would then email them the coupon where they'd have to click and they could only print it once which was set up by Outback and, uh, I see. and this third party. And so what would happen, and we had enough foresight to see this could be a problem because, you know, if you're giving out 500,000 onions, how many emails do you think are going to bounce, right? Right, right? So, it's, you know, if it's like 2 to 5% of emails, that's, you know, 10, 20,000 emails that are going to bounce or right. whatever that number is. And so so we set up a system in, uh, in place that we would basically pull their the third-party service every 10 minutes and say, uh, and we'd have a worker role to this that would say, hey, um, is there any bad emails dispatched? Yeah, here they are. And they would give us those emails and the Facebook IDs that we had passed them. And so then they would they would bring it back to us, and then we would take it and send them a Facebook notification that says, you know, sorry, we were unable to deliver your coupon. You know, click here and, you know, update your email address so that we can try again, right? Right. So this kind of was – it wasn't a never-ending loop. I think we stopped it like five times. Mm-hmm. But we tried to automate customer service, basically. Because that way you wouldn't have thousands of people posting to the wall. Oh, I never got my coupon, which happened. I mean, there was people that did post to the wall that said that, but um, I think we mitigated a lot of it by doing that. And I'm I'm just want to get the scale of this thing. Yeah, that's going to five hundred thousand onions. How many uh... in a month means what seventeen thousand a day, roughly seven hundred an hour, maybe twelve per second. Yeah, or twelve was... per minute. That's pretty yeah, good, was... Richard. There was, yeah, that's pretty good. It was actually more and less than that, right? So it's it like a, an S curve. Yeah, because you're never going to, 24 hours, you're going to have a, a peak that's right. two or three times that. Right. Yeah. So there was one time I saw like a thousand. Wow. In an hour. Yeah. And no, in a minute. A in thousand a minute. in a minute. Yeah. That, that was, the, that was the highest I ever saw. And what was, what was really interesting, it was probably more like a couple, yeah, it's close to a minute. I remember tracking it and then it, it didn't do that, uh, the whole time, but it did that at one point and it was always around, those weird, it was probably around five o'clock Eastern Standard Time because you get the West Coast getting off lunch and the right. East Coast getting off. So that was when we peaked a lot of times. But what was interesting is that, uh, you know, I'm sitting here with my SQL, uh, manager, uh, uh, connected into SQL Azure, hit and refresh on my count, right? <laughs> yeah. was, you know, because when do you ever get to do that, right? So, you know, you're, I'm just sitting here hitting execute every 10 seconds and watching it jump 100. You know? <laughs> hey, that'll drive you crazy. Oh, it did drive me crazy. <laughs> I, what are you doing? Yeah, you know, right. I got the laptop in bed. I'm like, oh, I'm just seeing how yeah. many. Why do you keep doing it? I just, it's weird to watch. <laughs> it's fun to watch. Yeah. <laughs> like that commercial where it goes ding, ding, ding. Yeah, well, you know, you could have made the mistake of saying every time an onion goes through, ring, make a sound. You just have the machine yeah, exactly. going. <laughs> Send a text message, right? Whoa. Yeah, I've done, I've done that one. We had a bug in our text messaging for error messages, and I sent 30,000 text messages to a phone. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, you have to delete them one at a time, too. That was funny. Yeah, that is. That's all sorts so, of funny. So, but yeah, I, I get, I just want to get the dimensions on this thing that, yeah, you've got this peak load 
And so five web servers essentially load balanced together that are that are running in Azure. Yeah, and the thing that I think really helps us scale was that we weren't we were we were doing all our inserts into table storage and method queuing. Right. right? So it was, that that was our real time part because we had to by the time they got to the last step we had to make sure that they were in they were persisted somewhere so that we knew that they already did it. Right. But instead of just passing everything to SQL, we just did everything in table storage and queues and then let the background worker processes de- denormalize the data and put it in SQL so we could report on it better because you can't really report on table storage very well. Right. No, but so, I, and I do like the fact that you uncoupled the the web service request from the actual database, right? So you just stick it on a queue and the queue absorbs those surges. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. And, and we did everything async too, right? So the, the users, like, they had no idea. All right. So let me ask you about the tools because I've done Facebook programming before. And at the time I was using a toolkit that worked, but you know how it goes. I mean, toolkits get neglected. There's now like five or six of seven, eight, nine of them out there. Some of them work. Some of them are just like, yeah, I get this little demo together. And uh, it, last time I looked, trying to do any kind of anything with Facebook, it was just really difficult to find anything that worked. So what toolkit did you use? And when was it available? And is it still current? Yes. Okay. That is a, that's a really good question. Because I've been doing this for a couple of years, playing around with Facebook, and I haven't really been too serious about it until, you know, about six or eight months ago or whatever. But um, I, I went in, I had the same problem. I tried three different toolkits, you know, and mo- a lot of them weren't complete, right? right? So they'd yeah. have some of the API, but not all of it. And Facebook's a moving target too. This isn't, this isn't an easy open source no, project. No, no, you always got to keep up with it. Yeah. They're changing the APIs every month, right? Or they're adding new fields and then, you know, or they're deprecating things. And so you, you really have to be on top of it. So, uh, to answer your question, we're we're currently using Facebook Developers Toolkit, which is the one I suggest everyone to use, the version three. Uh, that one is um, stated as supported by Microsoft now too. Is that on so, CodePlex? Yeah, it's on CodePlex. Yeah, Facebook uh, Developers Toolkit. Yep, yeah, it's FacebookToolkit.CodePlex.com, I think. And um, and so that one I really like, and um, you know I just became a, a committer on it too, so I'm actually updating it um, because you know we we see that Facebook's a moving target. And so when they add something new or they add a new column to page, uh, the page API or whatever it is, then we can just go in there and, and, and patch it real quick and just do it. Because it's not, it's just REST service calls to, to Facebook, you know, right. but the toolkit provides a nice wrapper around this. And so, you know, you kind of have to get into it to see, you know, where things need to be added. But now that I kind of know it inside and out, um, you know, I feel comfortable with adding, you know, new features to it as I need, but. But yeah, I tried, try, I tried like three different ones and this was the one that stuck and we used version 2.1, uh, when we went live and then version 3 came out, uh, right during PDC actually. And so we upgraded it to 3.0 and, um, you know, it's got a lot more of the API to it. Now, what we were doing in Facebook really wasn't, we didn't need a ton of the API methods, but the stuff we're doing now, we do. I mean, we're talking to Facebook fan pages now and doing all kinds of. Okay. And before we move on, I shrinksterized that, shrinkster.com slash 1D98, 1David98. Okay. Uh, so now tell us about your tool that you built for Facebook and Azure. Okay, yeah. So it's um, it's actually Facebook Azure Toolkit.codeplex.com. Um, it's called Windows Azure Toolkit for Facebook. We released it about a week ago. Uh, we released it uh, a couple days before Mix. And... Um, Basically, it's a combination of 
I would say five open source uh, toolkits. <laughs> it's just kind of a, uh, a combination of all of these. So we're using the Facebook Developers Toolkit, as I was just talking about. We're using Inject for an independency injection. We're using ASP.NET MVC2. Uh, we're using the Azure Software Development Kit. We're using AutoMapper. And then um, we're also using, uh, this doesn't really have a name in it for it yet. We call it the Azure Toolkit. Mm-hmm. But uh, Scott Densmore and I built this uh, this toolkit that allows you to talk to uh, Azure a lot easier. So think of like a repository of T type yeah. of pattern and talking to table storage like that. So wow. you can say, well, I want new table uh, storage of T and then you know, save that object and it does everything for you. It's table. It makes sure it's created and does all that stuff. So it makes it a lot easier to talk to like table storage and message queues. And, uh, you know, we put all of the, all of the statistics that you would want to monitor in a web app, like CPU requests per second and memory usage. And we just put that as a base class. So all you have to do is have your web role, um, you know, inherit from that base class. And then, then now you have a pretty good, you know, you, you have a pretty good web app that'll run in Azure, and it doesn't have to be Facebook. I mean, you go download the toolkit and just take out the the Facebook MVC app and add your own web app, and now you're running inside the toolkit. And you're using Ninject. Yeah, we're using Ninject two for dependency injection. Yeah. And um, what now? What was the decision there, as opposed to any of the other millions of frameworks for that? Uh, well, actually, we're 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 still looking at some at some other ones too, like Unity, uh, because it goes into the web config easier mm-hmm. and we're actually doing everything in visual studio 2010 now in fact the toolkits in visual studio 2010 the solution is because we didn't want to have to to be supporting a, a toolkit that we weren't using the visual studio 2008 for anymore you know nice. that, that kind of problem so um so we're actually looking at, at at moving to unity possibly because of the web config and we're going to put it into the web config transforms that's part of that the new uh, visual studio which okay. is great for this type of stuff because the reason you want dependency injection when you're developing for the cloud is that you can inject the cloud, right? Nice. So you can run on your local preview server and test your app, and do all that stuff before you deploy to the cloud. Because once you start deploying to the cloud, you know, it, it can take 10, 15 minutes before it's fully deployed. Right. And you're waiting and you just want to do a simple CSS change, right? Yeah. And, you know, so that kind of stuff will drive you crazy. So um, we decided to use uh, some injection. Well, that's... That's a really good uh, use of injection right there. Yeah, it really is. Because then, and then if, let's say you don't want to run in the cloud anymore, but you wanted to run it locally because, let's say, the cloud's too much resource. It makes it makes a lot more sense than fooling with base classes and things like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, trying to use you know inheritance for that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. And the only thing you really have to worry about this stuff with is table storage, right? Because mm-hmm. if you're doing SQL in the cloud, there's really, you know, there's there's really nothing that you can't run locally that you can run in in Azure. Yeah. So, you know, cause it's just a website, right? You just got to make sure you deploy it correctly, like have your solution, you know, deploy. And, and that brings me up to the, the other part that's in this toolkit that, that I really like is we created some automated build scripts for one click deployment from TFS 2010 to Azure. Hmm. Right. Nice. Yeah. So that's like, you know, that was the Holy grail for us. Right. Because it was like, when you deploy to Azure right now, you know, especially if you're in a team, are you guys familiar with the plain Azure where you have to hit publish on your yeah. Studio? Okay, so so you hit publish from your local computer, right? Now, would you do that for an app with you know three or four devs on it and say, okay, who's going to FTP it up, right? Right, you right. Know, we, 
that's just not something that we like to do. And so what, what, what we found happening was, okay, someone made a CSS change. They checked it in, but I forgot to get latest before I hit publish. Mm. <laughs> so then you push up the app and you're like, well, why isn't this change in there? Oh, I forgot to get latest. And so, you know, you'd, you'd much rather have the build put, you know, the build packaged and pushed from the server, you know, right. from the build server. So we used TFS 2010 and then hooked in some PowerShell scripts that automatically uh, build the package, uh, the CS package file that comes out of Azure. Um, publish, build that, and then deployed it using PowerShell scripts uh, to staging. And it does it automatically for you. It deletes whatever's in staging, pushes the package up to blob storage, then installs it, and then runs it. And so now, you know, you click a button, and then 10, 15 minutes later, it's running in staging, and it's coming from your server. Yeah, nice. So are you at the point of saying, I have continuous integration to Azure? Yep, yep, we do. In fact, I but I don't I don't do uh, check-in continuous integration. That's a little ridiculous to to de- deploy to staging in the cloud every time someone checks in. But right. we do it. We do it as a manual click. But yeah, it's one click deployment. Huh. Wow. But yeah, getting just basically waiting till you're at a point where you're like, okay, that's the one we should push. Yep, exactly. And then you know what's nice is that by using the PowerShells, we can version it too, right? And then put that label in the cloud so we know what version's running up there, what time it was pushed, and all that kind of stuff. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. We've been blown away by the uptake and the quick adoption of Silverlight. It's no secret, though, that the platform didn't provide for consistent integration with the web analytics services. Well, not anymore. As you might have already heard, Microsoft announced its Silverlight analytics framework, which solves the above-mentioned problem. But what's also interesting is that Telerik already provides support for the framework. Telerik's the first UI components vendor to offer handlers for the Silverlight analytics framework. Using RAD controls for Silverlight, you can immediately benefit from the advantages of the platform and start tracking the statistics of your applications. You can read details and download the handlers at Telerik.com Silverlight. And hey, don't forget to thank Telerik for supporting .NET Rocks on their Facebook fan page, Facebook.com Telerik. What was the total number of of users who tried to get, uh, um, you know, I mean, in other words, after you hit your 500,000 mark, did you take it down or did you have overage? Uh, we had overage. I think they, if I remember correctly, they let it go. They let it go over. Oh. Yeah, I think they took out off the 500,000 and let it go for the rest of the month. I mean, they, they, there was an end date. I think it was December 31st. Wow. But since they hit, you know, hit it so fast, I think they just, but it doesn't sound like they advertised the half million mark. They said, we're going to do this for 30 days. We'd like to get to a half a million. And you blew that out of the water. Yeah. Yeah. That was the goal was a half a million, 30 days. And then, you know, we, we, we beat that. So they're like, well, what are we going to do? <laughs> Leave it up. <laughs> <laughs> keep going. It's yeah, not keep a going, bad thing. You know? Yeah. No, it wasn't a bad thing at all. You know, the viral curve, it end, it ends up going down, right? Cause you know, you, you end, you end up reaching everybody eventually. So. Yeah. yeah. So what do you get, need to get started with the uh, Azure Toolkit for Facebook? Um, well, if, if you go download it, it, it comes with all of the, you know, the open source uh, DLLs from the rant, you know, from all the projects. Mm-hmm. Um, I would always suggest that everybody goes and looks to make sure they have the latest, right? Because right. you know, we versioned it at that time and there could be updates or fixes to any of those toolkits that we put into there. Um, so... You know, you, uh, you go ahead and download that. And then, um, you know, people, 
people tend to think that they can just get started with Facebook development, like with a toolkit, and that's not really the case. Um, this gives you a framework so you can see how to run it in Azure, but if you don't know how to do Facebook development, you have to learn that. So you really should use the Facebook toolkit first. Yeah, I would suggest that, yeah, because they have a lot of samples in there. Uh, right. They even have Silverlight samples that are really nice, too, if you just hit Silverlight development with Facebook. That's pretty cool. Play with the samples in Facebook developers toolkit and create a developer account in Facebook and start to learn the Facebook API because just because you're using a, a toolkit that you found on CodePlex, you still need to understand how Facebook works because it, there's a lot to it. It's not it's not just, you know, who's the current user and that's right. it. There's a lot to it. Well, so, let, let's um, dig into that. What what uh, what can you do these days with a Facebook toolkit? Um, well, besides marketing apps and games. Yeah. <laughs> so you have these applications on Facebook, and I never use them. I never play yeah, Mafia Wars or any of that. But but that's they're just basically games that are hooked into your friends list so that you can play with friends online. Is that basically the idea? Yeah, kind of. It's you know. The way the Facebook works is all of that, it's a 760 pixel iframe. That's okay. all. So whatever you can do in a website, you can do in Facebook. You just got to fit in a 760 pixel okay. iframe. So, I mean, that's the kind of high level way to, to describe it. But now when you want to start to hook into the social graph, right? So let's say, um, well, for instance, we're doing a cloud poll right now, which mm-hmm. by the time that this is, uh, this is live, this, this episode, it'll be live in Facebook. And so the poll app is, um, you know, it's going to, so you can create a poll that you could put on your fan page and mm-hmm. say, you know, so how many people are developers? You know, you put yes or no. And then you get this, you know, this total, how many people voted, how many people voted yes and no and all that. But then you could start to say, well, I want to see how many of my friends did this poll. Yeah. Let's just say I'm some user that goes to .NET Rocks, you know, fan page, and you have a poll there, and then I, I answer the poll, and I see that four of my developer friends answered, you know, what was their favorite language or something like yeah. that. And then I could see what my friends answered, right? So now you're starting to tie in my friends list to answers that they provided you. And so you're kind of given this kind of social experience inside the app. Does that, does that kind of make sense? Yeah. And so you could do that with anything. So you could do that with games, you know, this, this pull app. They have a lot of quiz type of things that, you know, my 15-year-old likes to do all the time, um, you know, and, and things like that. So it's all about, you know, tying that social experience into the app itself, you know. And then a lot, obviously, a lot of companies are using it uh, to acquire fans. Um, the reason they want fans is it's, it's very cheap to message them, you know, on, you know, offers or, you know, what they're up to. So in addition to all that, can you use the toolkit to do the basic Facebook stuff like getting, you know, sending messages to your friends and checking your inbox and, uh, uh, you know, posting your status and commenting? Can you do all that stuff too? Yep. Yeah, you can do all that. In fact, the perfect the perfect solution, I think, for that stuff. So, yeah. Have you downloaded the, oh, the, yes. Silver, the Silverlight a, Facebook client, that Silverlight 4 client? Yeah. That is cool. <laughs> They're using that toolkit. They're using the Facebook developer tool. Oh, that's great to hear. So yeah. the Silverlight.net site has a uh, Silverlight 4 da- sample area. If you go to if you click on the Learn tab, there's a, a couple of links to Silverlight demos, and one of them for Silverlight 4 is just just as Jim was saying, this incredible Silverlight-based, out-of-browser, installs an icon on your desktop kind of 
application that just blows the regular Facebook UI. Yeah, away. and it's so fast too. It's it's great. Yeah, I love that thing. Yeah, that's a great example of what the power of Facebook and also the power of Silverlight Four. That out of browser stuff. It's yeah. Cool. Yeah. Uh, that's that's the biggest news this year. If you ask yeah, me, it's definitely to tear the market up. Yeah. Uh, Jim, I'd like to dive in a little on the Azure side of things yeah. here, trying to figure out where your pain points were. I mean, obviously, you had a great scaling design with a bunch, what do you say, five web instances all feeding into a queue, and then you had a bunch of backup process or backend processes that were picking those up. Yep. How did you set the sort of numbers for the how many web servers, how many backend processes? What what did you what did you go through for that? Um, well, I did basic calculations on what the worst case scenario would be. Not worst case, I, I should say best case. But the um, I was basing it all on like a thousand people a minute, basically. Which you know, as long right. as it could handle that at a peak, I figured we were fine. So I That's... just did the math on how many requests a second it would be per user when they fill out a form, because just because they fill out the form, you know, there's other people requesting this this page and this page and this page and this graphic, and so it's not just you know per form. So I just did an Excel spreadsheet to figure out, and then I just guessed. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, what are you going to do when you don't have this proof? But it's not like you were spinning more up as the load went up and spinning them down as the load went down. You just put on that, as you put on what you figured was peak capacity requirements and left it there. Yep. I just, I figured it was on peak and I left it there because I didn't want to worry about it. Right. Cause, right. um, you know, and, you know, I mean, it's not like it would have cost a lot of money, but, you know, it was CTP. So it's, you know, we were still in the CTP. So, you know, we could kind of be a little bit, you know, looser with how many instances. I was even right. thinking of moving it up to 10 just to, you know, but uh, I did, I thought it was pretty much unnecessary to go that high. Did you do the math in terms of what it would cost today with Azure to, to do that? Um, well, yeah, we're still doing it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, we have like four apps live right now. Um, and, uh, you know, the Outback one's live again, right? Oh, so okay. Have you seen that that commercial that they're doing um, this whole month of the red red white and blue menu? I think it is with uh, where they're uh, they're try they're donating to Operation Homefront off of that menu. All right, so yeah. There's commercials all over, and Please so that, help us say thanks for giving. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if you go to the Facebook app, you can actually, if you have any veterans friends, you can send them a thank you through the app. So you could send them a blue onion, and then. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, we got a lot of onions here. We got to get rid yeah, of. Well, you know, I think if you are a veteran and you go into Outback, you get a free blooming onion. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. But yeah, so it's just all, all good stuff. And then they have a, the the commercial up there in Facebook in the in the little iframe, and then you can send messages to your friends. So the question was, how much is all this costing? Well, so they say it's twelve cents an hour, right? For per instance. Yeah, per, per application, per CPU, yeah. whatever. So it's, so it works out to be about eighty-five to ninety bucks per instance per month, and then you have to add your data and your bandwidth and all that. But um, so if you're using SQL Azure, if you're using a one gig database, then it's ten bucks a month. So add it up for us. I'm trying to well, figure out what it costs you. So for for this particular app, yeah, like sure. For okay, so so if if you're to run. If you're to run, let me do the math real quick. If you're to run five instances and one worker role, so you have six instances total, right? At 85 bucks a pop, that's about 500 bucks. Okay. Not uh, bad. And then, and then your data is pretty, you know, it's pretty, you'd be surprised. It's actually pretty, it's really cheap, especially if you're using table storage. It's like 12 bucks a month or something ridiculously small like that. And then, uh, and then your bandwidth is, 
you know, that's a huge variable. It depends on how much bandwidth you right. use. We'll, we'll find out at the end of this month how much we use, you know, delivering that video. Uh, it'll be kind of interesting to see, but we don't have that, that data yet. But um, I'm sure it's not too high. But you're not even coming, you know, this this gets to that whole thing of this is a sprint of six weeks. Exactly. Exactly. Because then once we delete them or when we move it down to one instance or whatever, we're, you know, whatever the next part of the app is going to do, um, then now we're not paying that anymore. So we didn't have to go buy all that hardware to support this, and then now the hardware right. is still. And now, and now what do I do with it? Well, that that, would, that seems to me, Richard, to be the success story that I've that we've been waiting for. Yeah, it doesn't get in. You know, I think about different elements of what people are talking about in cloud, and in a way, you've done some. You didn't do the elasticity part of you know. I, I we saw the load go up, and we added more instances. We saw the load down, we we pulled more instances out, but you did seem to be able to scale the thing. I mean, you, you also, it does to me sound like you, you did the right design. Yeah. You, you didn't couple the web server instance to the database and write the transactions hard there. You did this asynchronous uncoupled approach so that the guy fills in his form, it comes back immediately, and the time it takes to actually post into the back end is a separate issue. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, when you're posting to table storage or message queues, all you're doing is a web request. Right. Right, which will scale, you know, times ten on the back end. So you're not even worried about if that thing. Yeah, it's going to scale well, but it's not especially fast. So in terms of speed of transaction, you don't want to be synchronous for that stuff. Yep. And I'm just still, for me, as your my experiences with scaling is how much of the design issues have been taken away from us. We don't have to deal with this anymore, and how much of this still is you've got to think through the design to be able to scale it. Yeah, and that's mm. that's where I really loved it. Like with um, with the worker roles, right? It is so easy to start off a thread to listen to a message queue. I mean, right? It literally takes five ten minutes. Mm. You know, once you know what you're doing, and you know, then you deploy it, and now you're listening. And with the toolkit, what we what we did is, you know, at first when we when we first started doing this, we had a worker role for every queue, right? Because that's wow. just how the the samples that we were seeing. That's just how it was designed, right? So we, that's why we had three worker roles. If we were to do the same exact app today, we'd have one worker role that spawns off three threads. Because, and if you look at the toolkit, we have this uh, function called start processor, mm-hmm. and then it it throws off a thread that listens to that queue. And then so mm-hmm. then you can have, you know, 10, 20 queues just for one worker role. And, you know, you just kind of scale it like that. And then if you see... One queue is really hot. Then just go ahead and move that thread to another work to its own worker role. Right. You really sort of have to watch it though, and and baby it for a while, don't you? Yeah, you do. And that's what that, that's kind of the next thing that we're that we're looking to do is automating the scale up, scale down thing, and to monitor and to have it automatically scale up if we, if it sees like uh, if it sees the memory's almost gone or if it sees the requests per second are too hot or if it sees the CPU's too hot, then go ahead and fire off a PowerShell script that adds another instance, right? I mean that's kind of the holy grail of auto scale is if you can do that and then at midnight tear everything down except for two two web rolls and then fire them back up at eight so you could save money. Yeah, I think you, you know, this, the, the thing that's interesting here is it depends on the app, right? Yeah. You're looking at the per transaction rate on the website, say, as this transaction rate gets slower, maybe spin up more instances of web servers to get that speed back up. And by the same token, your back end processor saying, well, how high are the queues? The queues are empty, spin everything down except for one. 
But as the queues start to grow at a certain rate, we start spinning more instances up to be able to drain those queues faster. Mm. Yep, exactly. Yeah, and then you could create some, you know, worker that monitors how many messengers are in the queue and then sends a message to your other worker role that then fires up more instances. You know? Right. The, the the whammy for me here is that it's very tough to do much on the database end. Once you get back to the data side, writing transactions is writing transactions. And can you really scale that or you just have to deal with whatever the rate of transaction write is? Yeah, I mean, that that's what... Um that's what's good about having thrown everything into the queue and then, you know, having the worker role just take its time putting it into the database, you know? Yeah. And then it, it, if the database happens to be slow or it's not keeping up, the queue is absorbing the hit. Yeah. And mm. your message will stay in the queue for seven days. So, right. And then you can read 10 or a hundred at a time too. It, it, you know, you, you have so much granularity of control on there that, uh, that you can decide how quick and how slow you want to do it. Of course, now we still get back to the core design element, which is you could not provide feedback to the user at the Facebook side on his transaction actually being completed. All you knew was it got to the queue. Well, that's not what we did was we asynced to the queue, but then right. we but we synchronously called table source. Okay, and the reason we had to do that because we had everything async at first. Problem was is if the queue didn't get it into the uh, didn't persist it by the time they got to the thank you page, then we didn't know who they were. <laughs> oh, so right because the when you get to the when you get to the app, we needed to know, hey, have you ever filled out this form or not? Right. So right. if there was any kind of lag in, in in our testing, we noticed that okay, there was a little bit of a lag when we did the async on this one particular part of the app. So we decided to do one sync call, and then all the rest async, so that we weren't. We weren't talking to the database. We just would do one one web request to table storage. And then every time a user came in, we would check to see if that user was already in table storage, which made it a lot easier and faster than if we did it in SQL. And table store, because it's so simple, is quite fast. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's just it's a, just a web request. And then when you when you uh, check to see if someone's there, it's it's a web request, too. Right. So, and then those scale on the back end. I mean, they take care of all that scaling for you. So, and the whole issue here was that each user only got one coupon. Exactly. So this was about just making sure he hadn't already gotten the coupon. Yeah. Right. All right. So I mean, the, the, the important part here is you were synchronous in the check, but you were async in the writes. Yeah, and and then well, we we weren't actually async in the write only because the check. There was a race condition where the check would get there before the async write hit. Uh, of course, yeah. Okay, and so we had to make the table storage insert sync synchronous. We had to because there was there was no really no way around. It. But the 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 queue was async put on there, and then the worker role would grab that data and send the email. You know, call the web service and the email, put it in the database, make sure they got it, make sure there's no errors. If you had to do all that in the controller. Um, then you would have had a real problem because then we would have had to do synchronous everything, right? We had to put it in the put it in table storage, send an email, put it in SQL, you know, right. do all this stuff before they got to the next page, and that's that's not acceptable. I mean, no, it would it slow. would work for a few users, but once you start getting a thousand, it's... yeah, you you've got to be uncoupled there. Yeah, you got to be uncoupled. So, did you have to use SSL in your application? Um, no, we didn't. Okay. The reason I asked is that on the on the page for the toolkit, 
uh, to set up deployment in TFS 2010, you have to add an SSL cert to your account in Azure. Oh, yeah. Okay. So deployment, so when you're using the PowerShell scripts, the mm-hmm. Azure commandlets, um, you have to have a cert that is in um, the app fabric. Oh, okay. In, in Azure. And then you also have that same cert in your local certificate store on your server. And then that's how, that's the security to communicate to your instances. I see. That's just a standard Azure thing for TFS. Well, no, it's a standard Azure thing in general. Like you can, okay. you can run PowerShell scripts from your local laptop. Okay. You know, as long as you have the, you know, the certificate in your local laptop or whatever, you can, you can talk back and forth. Cool. Overall, you know, looking at the how do I get started list on the website here, it looks pretty straight ahead. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's a lot of links to yeah. it's a lot of links to different stuff. But, right. You know, but I wanted to kind of make it clear that you know, make sure you know you learn how to do all the stuff with Facebook first, and you know, right. And then go ahead and set it up. Yeah. Yeah, but the mixture of Facebook and Azure, I don't think is is automatically assumed either it's an interesting connect to connect the two together yeah and i think a lot of i mean a lot of facebook developers use uh, amazon right right because they were around obviously before azure and so you know that's kind of the only way to do it and we had looked at using amazon too and uh i i kept came, coming back to the same thing where i'm still gonna have to manage these servers um still gonna have to know, manage which i would still have to manage the the actual servers in amazon you know the service packs and you know yeah, it's, it's EC2, so you're just running an image up there. Yeah, so you know, they have good service, but for what we like, what I like about Azure is I'm running the app, not right. server. You don't own right? the you so don't own the OS. You only yeah. own the app. Yeah, I only own the app, and so right. that's all I have to think about. You right. Know? So that's a really me, interesting that's... distinction that I, I don't know has made penetrated most folks. That when you don't own the operating system, that's a bunch of stuff you just don't have to think about. That's true. Yeah, and you're deploying the app. You're not deploying instances. Right. They, mm. You just if, you know, if you want 10 instances, you just change that to 10. That's a, little, you know? that's I mean, a that's, setting. <laughs> yeah, it's a setting. Exactly. That, that was cool to do that. And yeah, like, you what? don't need to know about load balancing or any of that sort of stuff. It just happens. Yeah, and hmm. deployment, have you guys used that VIP swap, that big magic blue button in Azure? No, we don't. We've just, I've just played with Azure. I don't, no. We don't have anything running up there. Well, you guys will, you guys will think this is cool. So what, what you do is like, okay, so... When we were when we were live, you know, getting you know thirty thousand people a day or whatever it was, when we were at a peak, there was a small bug in the system. Um, it wasn't that noticed by people, but it was still there, so we had to fix it. And you know, I don't know if you guys have ever you know deployed an app in production when there's that much traffic, but it's scary to do because oh you're yeah, like, well, what I don't want any downtime, and you have all these these problems that can arise, and you got to test it and all this stuff. So you know, we put it in staging. And then, you know, made sure all the instances were green and everything was up and running. And then you hit this magic blue button and it swaps. It, it basically, it rewrites the load balancer to have the load balancer point to all these instances instead of this one. Ah, right. Which okay. I would, I've done that with hardware, having two literal stacks of gear. Yeah. And then changing the DNS references to say, okay, now flop to the other stack. Mm. Yeah. And so this, but this we get to do with a button, right? Nice. And so... And so what's nice is that we had zero downtime when we were making changes and fixes. Like they wanted to add a new graphic, right? Like, oh, God, you know, I mean, adding a new graphic <laughs> is actually not easy. Because, <laughs> I mean, it's easy to do, but it's, you know, you're like, God, I got to redeploy all eight instances, right? Because, I mean, that's, it's, you don't know where the image is going to come from. And, and all right. Things. So yeah. 
Um, so when you hit that swap button, it takes about 20 seconds and you know, the screen kind of goes blue where it's got this progress and you're like, am I down? Am I down? And you're hitting refresh and like, Oh no, it's still up. And then what's really nice is, you know, once you go check to see, Oh, okay. Did the change make it to production correctly? And let's say you had a problem like, Oh, it didn't work or something got messed up. You just hit that blue button and it swaps it back to what you had. Nice. That's, that's, that's that is that's awesome. Best, you know, because then that way, cause I mean, that, that does happen, right? You know, you messed up this when you fix that. So now just swap it back and then let's fix it again and then let's try to swap again and see if that works. You know, but while you're doing all this while, you know, thousands of people are hitting your site and there's no downtime. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's, that's amazing. And, and a great sort of wrap up to the deployment story here is very compelling with a, with a hot site like that. Yeah. It is. Hey, I got a question from an associate who remains nameless, but tweeted me when he found out you were going to be on the show. He said, I should ask you about the contest at the wasted space at the Hard Rock Casino in Las Vegas at the end of Mix. The contest. Oh, um, yeah, I don't remember anything about that. <laughs> uh oh, there's a story here. <laughs> what were you doing at the Hard Rock during Mix? Well, we, uh, you know, it's funny because we're speaking, uh, I was speaking at Mix, and so, um, Microsoft got our, our rooms at uh, Mandela Bay. Yeah. And so, um, you know, so here we are, uh, you know, I'm going to uh, go back to my room after Wednesday and I couldn't get into my room. And I was like, what's going on? They're like, well, yeah, the, you're supposed to check out at one. <laughs> I was like, what? Oh, man. Oh, like, you're kidding me. I'm like, okay, well, let's. And then I was with a couple of designers and uh, they were, uh, they were like, yeah, we want to, we want to go to the hard rock. Right. And so I was like, okay, let's go there. And it was, it was actually probably half the price to go stay there. And so then they, they had, uh, they had some Budweiser, uh, party there or something like that. And so, uh, as I, I think it was called the largest pool party in the world or something like that. <laughs> wow. And so, you know, so we went there and it didn't start till Thursday, but we had to fly out Thursday. So, you know, we thought, we thought we were going to the, to the party, but. No big deal. No, I had to get up at six o'clock in the morning. So the whole point with Vegas is supposed to stay up and just go straight onto the airplane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just go on the red eye. Yeah. I decided not to do that. Yeah. Well, you create your own red eye. You may fly at six in the morning, but you stayed up all night beforehand. Yeah. Exactly. Makes the flight pass quickly. No, I, I didn't have any voice left. Yeah. It was hard for me to even talk because after yeah. speaking there and then, you know, you have your social hours, you know, at night and, you know, you're trying to talk over this loud music or, you know, the ding, 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 ding in the casino and you right. eventually lose your voice. <laughs> well, uh, is there anything else that you want to talk about before we wrap? Um, you know, not that, that, not that I can think of just that, uh, you know, Facebook, Facebook developments, it's fun to write, but, uh, you know, you definitely have to learn their framework and learn how it works and, you know, they have whole JavaScript APIs that are very useful to learn um, yeah. for doing things. And it's not all about server-side processing. And so there's a lot of client-side stuff that you have to learn in order to, uh, to be successful at these apps. Yeah. Okay. Well, Jim, thank you very much. It's been enlightening. And congratulations on your success. It's um, not only success for you, but for Azure as well. All right. Thank you very much for having me on. It was uh, great to uh, talk to you guys uh, on the phone. I've been listening to your podcast for long time since episode 70 from awesome thanks we'll for talk. listening 
and we'll see you next time. .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got transmitter bands by the FCC. Yes, I'm a 